0: Hey guys, Paul Capon from the innovation community here. Uh, today, I'm here with Tim Smith, Associate Director of Business Intelligence at Novartis. Tim, great to have you with us.
1: Great to be here. Thanks. So to
0: start with, let's um, just tell me a bit about yourself in a few words.
1: So um, I guess my general sense of who I am is a scientist, researcher, and uh, kind of technologist uh, data hunter i think that's kind of the way i I think of myself because ultimately um, what i like to do is discover new things i think it's probably why i got into science in the first place it's like finding something new is one of the greatest thrills i have
0: awesome and and how did that really transition to to a more data focused career
1: so um yeah actually it's interesting because i ever since i was really little i loved chemistry and so i went to school with the intent of uh, being a chemist and that's what i studied at at university and it was interesting you know that science of course is data driven itself that much of what you're doing is collecting observations and data and and testing your hypotheses but it it was funny i always did had my best grades in computer science but i was always you know headstrong that i would be a chemist (laughs) and so um one of the things that uh, began to transform is through my career, I guess I was always uh, doing diff- various things with data within the lab, um, configuring new instruments and, and that sort of thing and that always revolved around computers. Until um, I was at the uh, University of California in San Francisco where I was doing cancer research. And I had decided at that point I was doing very heavy analytical Chemistry using uh, mass spectrometry and nuclear magnetic resonance, those kind of things, and I really felt I needed more biology, and so I, I applied and went to graduate school at Cornell University, and there um, I dove deep into the biology side of life and studied neurotoxicology. Um, and through that, it was a great experience. I had to learn and teach myself how to do electrophysiology, all these types of, of new techniques, um, and. But then one day a, a, a headhunter called from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and said, I have an opportunity for you to leave the lab and go in silico, I meaning like all computer-driven uh, target discovery. And so that what that really meant, that was a, way back in, in 2000, the human genome wasn't fully published yet. And it was a company, their whole job was to be finding new druggable targets in the human genome. And that's kind of where I, I always joke, I got my informatics on the street, as, uh, as cause that's where I had to learn it kind of on the fly in this little startup company called Lion Bioscience, um, Research Incorporated. And they, uh, we together with uh, Bear Pharmaceuticals were stitching together all kinds of RNAs and DNA sequences and trying to find and uh, discover new druggable targets for for their pipeline and that's where i really got into the the data side of life and and from there um it just kind of grew uh, the company ultimately did go bankrupt as many startups do but I, I got we got a huge foundation there in that space and then took that to the latest place i'm at um and, and kind of interestingly that discipline of of Working with data, working with genomic sequences, things like that, really uh, taught me the value of being able to link information. And so, in my uh, various roles at Novartis, I've had the opportunity to build data sets, uh, build uh, tracking systems, things like that, and always putting in all the connectors so that this data can be much more valuable um, uh, to everyone else in the organization, uh, as well as to you know whatever the purpose of the original tool
0: might be. Hmm. And, and especially with a company like Novartis, it's it's really important, I think, that, that everybody's able to use that data as well. Uh, specifically in your role, where do you, you know, what really interests you the most about working with data?
1: So um, what happened was a few years ago, well, actually 2014, um, I transitioned out of the sort of portfolio kind of space and, and designing tracking tools and went into what would be more uh, generally a knowledge management type of position and that's where i began to really start working with uh, machine learning and uh, applying that for various purposes uh, within the company Uh, for example uh, one of the things that we were trying to do is understand uh, the organizational network of the company who's connected to whom and uh, designing tools for us to be able to capture that information and then um, use that to understand where where we are collaborating well across the organization and places where, where we're not. And, and so that's kind of the place I think that I really got uh, started in the machine learning AI side and that I think it really captured my imagination then and that's where I uh, have been uh, working primarily since then. And I also published a, a book last year called How to Profit and Protect Yourself from Artificial Intelligence. Uh, that was came out in uh, April of 2018. Kind of a general audience book uh, also, so people know it's not a technical manual. It's really designed so that everyone can get an idea of what this new technology is, how it's working uh, for us and against us.
0: Hmm. And I think that's really the, the dream state everybody <laughs> wants to be. Uh, moving on from, you know, uh, uh, let's say uh, an AI, bi journey perspective how far along on about this in in general terms
1: so ai um i think well some of it i probably can't comment on (laughs) but it's it is a a, the company itself is really pro digital if you look at uh, the announcements that have been coming from senior management and and the way that uh, we're focusing the company now it really is uh full throttle into the digital space.
0: Hmm. Excellent. And uh, I mean, for you personally as well, where do you think the biggest impact you, you've made in your role in terms of making data uh, more accessible? For, is it the people? Is it the processes you think?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. This is something I, I bet a lot of people in, in uh, data science or, or analytics have found. It's like oftentimes the, the data sets themselves are, are, can be kind of simple or even the um, putting together uh, new data types and things like that and collecting it, it, there are challenges of course, and, and, you know, cleaning up data, et cetera, Mm. but getting people to buy into it, uh, use the data and to get that kind of quality uh, where people are um, keeping things up to date is a, I think that's a huge challenge. I think all organizations face that. And, and what I've found is like, when I've put, you know, types of tools together that people actually need to use, they, they, that they really they they get benefit from it, uh, those are the ones that work. And then ones where it's like a data in and you get nothing back from it, those are harder to to maintain. And you know, cause there's there's always there's like you know, the old carrot and stick, and some of them are you know data that just the company needs so people put it in there because they're they have to but i find when it's more um they get something back out uh makes a presentation easier it um it helps them communicate better with their leadership those kind of things are, are the ones that are usually successful
0: yeah and i think these you've touched on quite a few of the the, the core fundamentals of actually you know leveraging a data-driven business you know it's not simply just about uh, the stick approach you know here's why you have to use it you have, you have to do it. it's really about empowering people not in- increasing a team of data leaders but really getting everybody in the organization to have that, that particular mindset and, and it sounds like you've been doing a, a really good job of uh, of doing that um <laughs> trying to <laughs> <laughs> definitely and what do you think the biggest mistake you, you've made in your career was
1: i think um probably if I go back a couple of years, uh, I was doing a lot more expansive work in the areas of uh, natural language processing and machine learning. And then there was a change in, in management and I was uh, moved to a different uh, department and they had a, a, a narrower focus. They weren't really, their their mission wasn't quite in this machine learning AI space. And I think, staying there uh, instead of like really actively going out and and finding one uh department that's doing more of where my passion is is probably was that's a it's kind of a mistake i think it, it's kind of career advice i think for everyone in, in a way like if if things turn or your department changes a little bit you know it's not a bad thing it's like that's what happens organizations evolve uh, but but make sure you follow what you're really interested in. Cause that makes going to work a lot more fun. Mm.
0: Absolutely. And, and, and what do you think the, you know, in your career, the best piece of advice that you, you received is that you've really taken on board and, and, and implemented.
1: Okay. This is kind of funny cause it, it goes so far back, you know, uh, to high school and we had a career day and I grew up in Seattle, Washington. And, uh, so that is the land of, of Boeing, uh, airlines and uh, aerospace. And so for career days, we had a lot of people that would come from from Boeing and talk. And and there was a group of, of engineer contractors who had a, a company that worked with Boeing uh, regularly. And so the guy was standing in front of the class and he was like telling us all about what, you know, how interesting it is, you know, and his, what they do. And, and, and I asked him, well, what's your career, what kind of advice do you have for us as we go forward? And he said, Honestly, even if you don't know how you're going to do it, bid for that contract and figure it out. Because if you always are waiting to, to uh, know exactly how it's going to work, you will get scooped every time and you're really not going to make it very far. So be willing to take, a, take those risks and say, yeah, I, I'll do this. I will, um, I'll get this job done, even if you're not exactly sure how it's going to happen
0: definitely great advice and the fact that you, you remember that from so long ago as well is uh, <laughs> <a speech volume. laughs>
1: it always sticks with me i think that's partially my you know my career if you look at it starting off as a chemist and then a toxicologist and then into informatics uh it kind of echoes that like i I mean, I didn't know much. of, I didn't know a blast search from, uh, you know, a custle W analysis before I went to Lion, and I picked it up and learned it. And that's kind of, uh, kind of like what I like to do is is find challenges and and learn new things.
0: Definitely, and uh, I mean, the world we live in, and especially in in your your function in BI, is so rapidly evolving. What are you most excited about right now?
1: So I, I think um, still very excited about the opportunities for uh, machine learning and, and AI and how that can really create new, I call, I call them knowledge ecosystems, but that's mm-hmm. kind of, it's almost buzzy sounding. But but one of the things, and this is an example of um, industries like pharma and, and aerospace for that matter, you have very few products that take a very long time to develop. And so when you're trying to understand how your company, um, can plan and predict, you know, how things are working, especially with, with research being the underlying driver. Uh, it's, it's a challenge, you know, especially cause the data is rather thin, you know, you may have only at any given time, 200, 300 active projects, and they're to they take 10 years and a couple billion dollars to get something into the clinic. It's, uh, it's very risky. It's very, um, and the reward is great, but um, it's a very risky uh, proposition. And so one of the things that I'm very excited about uh, is how do we take big data and little data and bring it together? And that, what I mean by that is you may have a long, thin portfolio that's very difficult to kind of uh, project or predict success from it, but you do have mountains of data being generated all along through the research process so we have like for example a small molecule maybe developed and and run through hundreds or thousands of assays and so we know a lot of we will know more about what that personality as what i call it of that compound is and how does that relate to uh progressing through the pipeline can we bring this kind of information over, or as the as the compound changes as a chemist try to make it a better drug make it more absorbable or or may have to increase its metabolism things like that it, the, the compound generally gets heavier and so is there a parameter that we should be watching too that says you know our compounds are getting too heavy they, they tend to not succeed if they get over a certain threshold things like that that are um, right now in people's heads but can we systematically create a more vibrant um Data ecosystem around our, our projects so that we can actually see them evolving uh, from from different angles instead of the usual how long has it been in in that phase of development and how many people are working
0: on it and in turn make a, a you know a healthier world right and that's, that's that's you know why you guys do what you do which I think is is great I mean when it comes to spearheading that 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 marriage do you have any particular thought leaders or authors who you know you're really interested in right now. Or just a favorite in general?
1: Um, well, one of my favorite. Uh, there's kind of two I want to talk. One guy. Uh, there's a guy named uh, uh, Pedro Domingo, and he's a real leader in the uh, AI space. He wrote a great book called um, The Master Algorithm. I recommend it for anyone that's kind of interested in that. And and uh, the way he talks about data and 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 what we can do with it and and the different kinds of complexions that you uh the data and how we which tools you reach for he's really uh i think he's tremendous and and he there's a quote from him that i always love to share and he he said uh one time you know everyone's worried about the you know machines taking over like these super brilliant uh machines like ruling humans he goes i'm much worried about us being dominated by dumb algorithms (laughs) and i think it's really interesting it's like you know before you fully give up your, your, uh, control to an algorithm makes you, know, it, it may not be that smart. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that he was really great. And, and I think the other person that, that kind of drives my thinking, um, is Clayton Christensen. Are you familiar with him? So he's a professor at the Harvard business school and he's written a great deal, uh, in the area of innovation. And he, um, Coined the term disruptive innovation that you might have heard before, and uh, one of the reasons why I really like him is he he looks very closely at how companies innovate and and the way that they actually do it. Uh, And he said there's a kind of like three types. There's sort of this disruptive innovation, which is real game changer. It brings many many more people to the table that couldn't be there before. Um, There's innovation, which is kind of like the type that is uh, improving on, a, on an existing product, and then there's what's called efficiency innovation. He said it's the lowest form. Um, he describes that as that usually uh, is the kind of innovation that that kills jobs, and uh, companies that are, he's, are are only focused on that are usually just sort of prolonging their their life, but not for much longer. Whereas that disruptive innovation usually takes more time, but it's those things that. Like, for example, like the, like the I, um, iPhone, whatever, you know, it, mm. the whole world now has, has a mobile phone in their hands, you know, and it's like those kind of innovations are the ones that create new space, create new jobs. You know, they're, they're the ones that are, are the ones you should really strive for. And so I like his thinking and he, he uses this concept where uh, instead of thinking like, well, let's go out to the users and uh, find out what they need he said, usually they don't really help much, but if you actually go and interview people and say, what are you hiring that thing to do? And that's where you can really understand what people are, why they're reaching for it. And, um, and that's where you can, can really uh, make some, some breakthroughs. So anyway, that's kind of, I don't mean to summarize Clayton Christensen in such a short amount of time, but he's actually very, uh, he has a couple of really tremendous books and um, he's Tons of YouTubes, if you guys like uh, watching that, but very insightful, thoughtful um, thought leader,
0: I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely sounds it. And uh, Just as a, you know, a closing question, what advice would you give to maybe uh, science graduates, postgrads who who may be considering this kind of career in data? Because it sounds like you've been down that, that journey yourself.
1: Yeah, I think that what I would recommend uh, for everyone is know you know know your side of obviously know how you know the computer science works and and really become adroit at that but find a thing that you're really interested in as well that you want to talk about that you want to explore with these tools and and that i think is a great way to have an impact uh, but also uh, really make you an innovator in 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 more than one space because i think that's what that's Again, that's where I think a lot of the, the excitement is, and that's where people get really fired up, and and like so, for example, I'll, I'll share. There's a uh, um, a researcher at uh, North Arizona University, Constantine. Um, uh, I always get his name wrong. Uh, Slavnikov, Shavnikov, and he's a, he does research with um, prairie dogs. And he's been studying them for a very long time. They're, you know, they're social animals, um, how they communicate. And he teamed up with some data scientists and they began to analyze the prairie dog's communication. And they they chirp in very short, like 10 millisecond chirps is how they communicate with each other. And they talk all the time, but there was no way to understand really what they were saying. But what they did with the help of uh, machine learning and analysis, they could run experiments where they'd have a person in a yellow shirt, for example, walking towards the colony, and then they videotape and record the animal's responses. And then they began to analyze those in in a way that only machine learning can do it, can find these patterns that are, um, are they predictable? Are they reproducible? And what turned out was that these little chirps were not, um, they weren't just a little like, "Hey, watch out," or you know alert." They were whole sentences that contained information like a subject and a predicate of there's a person or a human coming and they have a yellow shirt um or and then they they could see by deconvoluting the the chirps and and running these algorithms that they were differentiating people, domestic dogs from coyotes, you know so they they really were talking to each other in a much more complicated way than um people might have ever thought and that's where again like that idea of like bringing data science to a really interesting problem uh is super exciting and he also found that they had regional accents which is funny so a prairie dog from texas had a little bit different accent than the one from uh northern arizona <laughs> so i thought that was interesting
0: yeah, absolutely. Tim. That's a, a great anecdote to finish on. Um, it's been a genuine pleasure speaking with you, uh, Tim Smith, uh, Associate Director of Business Intelligence at Novartis. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Great. Thank you.